Hello, Limelight listeners, you are so very welcome back to our seventh instalment, one of DCFM's very own flagship radio shows, Limelight. Myself, Trudy Fanan and Claire Young are your hosts, and we are here every Wednesday at 5pm to provide you with a weekly digest of what is happening in the world that is arts, culture and lifestyle. So as usual, we'll start our show with an overview of what we read, watch and listened to in the week. So in our last show, we discussed the true crime podcast, The Nobody's Own, and the 2018 dark humour comedy crime film, American Animals. So to move that on one step further, Claire, what did you watch or what did you listen to this week that caught your eye? Okay, so recently I've been trying to look into other types of film I wouldn't really watch very often. And ever since uh, Bong Joon-ho uh, finishes Oscar speech with once you overcome the one inch tall barrier of subtitles, you'll be introduced to so many more amazing films. It kind of just made me realize I was cutting myself off from so many movies for no reason at all. And I obviously really enjoyed this film Parasite and also 2016's Train to Busan, the South Korean horror film. So basically I was on film four one night and I saw that there was a mystery action film from South Korea called The Witches Part 1. And so I decided to put it on and I'm really glad I did. So basically it follows the main character, Jayoon, who had escaped from government facility when she was younger and eventually just integrated into regular society until she decides to enter a television talent competition and people from her past end up recognizing her. So it's a really action film film and there's a good twist in it that was really enjoyable and I would definitely recommend it to anyone looking for like a solid mystery film. Yeah that's like I suppose you are right like we are so cut off from films if they're not in the cinemas here and if they're not in our native language you kind of just disregard them don't we? Yeah, and especially like after Parasite came out and like how like how well that was received and especially that it got the Oscar as well. I think that was a really good sign that people were starting to just recognize that there's there so many countries with so many other languages. And the only reason that we're not watching their films is because we have to read subtitles. And even like when I'm watching Netflix, I put on subtitles for like shows in English as well. Really? Yeah, because I don't know. I just I always have them on. I don't know. But like. It, if it's grand when I'm re- watching an English film, like why can't I just watch any film with par- with subtitles on it? You know. Yeah, that was like you know when you know when Money Heist came out and like obviously I think the original version of that was like in Spanish and like some people watched that but with the subtitles for the very reason that because the storyline is what kept them and even though they had to look at the subtitles like that that didn't affect the value or how much they enjoyed it either. Yeah, and you know what I hate as well? Dubbing. You know when they dub over it? That is so yeah. distracting. I much yeah. prefer subtitles. So the, the second film, I, I also kind of branched out because I watched a Western. And to me before, I kind of wrote off Westerns a bit because I had this image of them from the 50s with like cowboys doing stand-ups and like John Way riding a horse and all that. But which they're great movies, but they just wouldn't be my first choice to watch. Like I would never really just put one on. And so yeah. basically... I ended up watching 2014's The Homesman, directed by Tommy Lee Jones, which is a Western drama, but more uses the West kind of as a backdrop to tell this really brutal story of Mary B. Cuddy, played by Hilary Swank, who rescues George Briggs from being executed and forces him to accompany her to a safe haven in Iowa, where she is bringing three women who have suffered from breakdowns. And the story just follows the journey and how grueling life was back then, and it's honestly just kind of a horrible movie to watch in some parts. And it's just really sad overall because it showed the realities of being alive during that time. And I just definitely recommend it. It was really an engaging watch. I've never really watched anything like it before, you know? Yeah, what made you want to watch that? I don't know. I just put it on because the story sounded interesting. And then it just so happened to be a Western as well. And it, yeah, it was okay. just really good. Wow, interesting. 
Okay, so what do you watch this week, Trudy, or read or listen to? Um, yeah, so over the last two weeks, I kind of watched two noteworthy documentaries. One is the true crime docuseries called The Night Stalker, and the other is the 2016 Oasis documentary Supersonic, which is also available on Netflix. So The Night Stalker, that has definitely garnered a lot of attention since its recent yeah. release. No, is, is that the one with Richard Ramirez in it? Yeah, yeah. So it's really good. It's a four-part docuseries produced by Netflix, and each episode runs kind of just under 50 minutes so it's you know you could definitely watch it in one sitting I did because the minute oh. you start the storyline you just <laughs> you need closure like so just kind of to give a rough overview of the plot it follows the story of Richard Ramirez who was a serial rapist and a murderer who preyed upon victims in the greater LA area in the 1980s so he committed his crimes from the summer of 1984 to 1985 and he targeted women who were home alone at night um, and he committed his crimes during the night and that's kind of how he was dubbed the night stalker but he was given lots of other attributed names by the media such as the walk-in killer and the valley intruder and his string of murders were connected by the LA police force by a reoccurring shoe print that was identified on the grass or of the flower beds of you know outside the victim's home so when the LA police force had enough evidence on him they released an EFIT um, and then that obviously led to reports from the public, which then allowed them to kind of identify him from a previous um, photograph they had on file. And so when they put that out, that's basically what led to his arrest. But it's not the arrest that you would think would happen. Like he wasn't captured or he wasn't initially caught by the police officers. So in that way, I won't like divulge the plot too much, but it was a really satisfactory and kind of gratifying way in how he was caught. But although yeah. I will say a bit of a trigger warning for the film or for the docuseries to be aware of is that they do include the real footage of the crime scenes and the photographic evidence and some viewers like might find that distressing like I was even surprised nearly that they they used so much of the original evidence because sometimes you might see that it's like um you know they might reimagine the scene or kind of you know not use the original footage but they did and they kind of showed pictures of the victim so like I think that's one thing that I wasn't really prepared for. Yeah, I think a really strange phenomenon that's come out of like uh, serial killers and stuff like that is that like people making fan pages for Richard Ramirez and like saying that he's so good looking. Like that was even the same thing with Ted Bundy. Admirers in the courtroom, even though they had heard and seen all the details of his horrible, brutal murders, still thinking of him as like some sort of romantic interest, which is so creepy. It's so weird. That is one thing like that wasn't really divulged in the storyline until maybe the last episode and so when Ramirez was in court and when he was sentenced to prison like he would receive pictures and letters and photographs from women sending them into the prison and he actually he got married to someone one of one of his fans um yeah so there's a lot there like near the end I was nearly like it's just you don't expect it and you just nearly can't believe it it's disbelief like but yeah it just shows you the psychology behind that and like at the courtroom and everything like he had fans and people outside the courtroom that wanted to get in it was nearly like it was a soap opera or a reality tv show that was playing out in the courtroom so glamorized but but it is it's really good it's four part series and like they're all under an hour so that it's really like digestible and it's so good I'd recommend it (laughs) on a lighter note there's the Oasis documentary as well called Supersonic okay um that was in 2016 on Netflix and it follows kind of the creativity and the chaos of the British band and the role the Gallagher brothers played in both the band's rise and fall. Um, so details like the Gallagher's brothers' upbringing in Manchester, their initial recording days and the formative years that led to their string of success in the mid-90s. So what I really liked about this documentary is that like, although it does include interviews with the band members and those kind of associated with the band, it doesn't take the usual form of, you know, 
a sit down interview with the interviewee like reminiscing over their successful years instead you don't actually see the interview footage so it's like set off screen interviews that are kind of on the backdrop of archive videos of concerts backstage footage and various videos the band members made themselves so you kind of do get that raw one take look at the Gallagher brothers and of the other band members and I think that really helped to blend the storyline with the 1990s periods because it kind of the documentary kind of follows their two albums it's funny that you do get a good insight into what Liam and Noel Gallagher actually like and the other band members too like Bonehead and Giggsy they're partying their drug use like it misses nothing but the fact that it does touch on those pinnacle moments kind of between 1994 and 1995 when they released definitely maybe and what's the story morning glory like they didn't really divulge the fall of oasis after that um it kind of just showed their pinnacle moment and that was it like i think it would be good if they did show kind of what happened after that that led to their demise but it is like nonetheless it is a really good documentary but it i think it missed that bit a little bit is it just one hour or is it a series uh, no it's two hours long oh so it's proper like full length movie. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's a long documentary, but it's it's really good. Like the fact that you get original video footage, it just gives you like such that real insight into what they were like. Like it, it misses nothing in that sense. Like you knew it's but it's really funny as well. It's it's just so good. I recommend it. I can see though why you were logging for the bit that happened afterwards, like the aftermath of everything. Like you need to know that for context to like actually know the band's full story. It kind of yeah, seems like exactly. it's leaving out the ending. Yeah, that was exactly it. Like it showed kind of like their they had like a sellout two back and back to back concerts um in England and they sold out both shows within, within minutes. So like two point five million applied for tickets and two hundred and fifty thousand were actually sold. So that meant that they had the possibility of twenty sold out nights in a row. And that was like a record breaking number of in terms of outdoor concerts and like it still remains the largest demand for a show in British history but I still the fact that you have that backdrop it would have been so good I think to then to lead into what yeah. actually led to this like their demise um because now especially as you see like you know Liam and Noel they're always like you know their relationship with one another and they're like bickering it's on Twitter like everybody knows about it yeah wait part so, two yeah part two yeah We'll go on to our second segment, which is Motion Pictures Best Kept Secret. So in this segment, Claire and I will be bringing you the very best unknown facts and hidden knowledge about some of the films we know and love. So in previous weeks, we did a deep dive into the 2004 romance film The Notebook, the 1997 film Titanic and the 1980s horror film The Shining. So this week, we will be focusing on the 2006 American comedy drama The Devil Wears Prada, directed by David Frankel, and the screenplay is based on Lauren Weisberger's 2003 novel of the same name. So the first fact, are you ready, Claire? I love this movie. Go on. It's so iconic. I just couldn't, like, I couldn't not talk about this one. But the first fact is that the storyline is largely based on true events, although it is not strictly classified as a nonfiction novel or movie so when Lauren Weisberger wrote the novel she had just left her job after 11 months as an assistant to American Vogue editor Anna Wintour so the author's personal experiences over time in the office at American Vogue had a grave bearing on storyline and The Devil Wears Prada that was her first novel and she had never intended for it to garner so much tension let alone be made into a film and she has been quoted as saying I was just 
excited that someone wanted to publish the book and that I could tell my family that they could actually buy it in a store. But for it to sell out and have it made into a film too, that was a complete whirlwind for which I wasn't prepared. She said she was nearly naive to think that it wouldn't have garnered as much attention as it did as it did because it was like targeting such a high profile magazine firm. But she never thought it was going to garner that much attention. I didn't even know it was based on a book or even based on a true story. And the fact that like she doesn't say that it is Anna Wintour, but like it did have a grave bearing on her storyline. But the fact that that editor is still the editor in chief of American Vogue, I think makes it hit home even more. Yeah, like when you reflect back on it and look and like you hear about stories about Anna Wintour and like kind of the connotations around her, that like actually makes so much sense. Like Meryl Streep was that kind of character as well. Yeah, exactly. And that actually brings us on to the second point. So the character Miranda Priestley, played by Meryl Streep, has strong parallels to to Anna Wintour even today. So and especially with her relationship with Andy, who is the junior personal assistant Priestley and who is played by Anne Hathaway. So in the movie, Andy would never dream of getting into the lift with Miranda Priestley. And this is something Weisberger, who wrote the novel, also makes reference to in various interviews. So we also have that iconic scene of Andy's transformation where she trades her usual clothes for luxury brands and stiletto heels. And this high-end level of dressing was largely expected of staff in the Vogue house when Weisberger was there. But Weisberger said that she could never force herself to wear high heels, even though it was expected of her. But for her, her job, like it was not feasible. She was running around the office all day running up and down the building a thousand times over and she had to go to Starbucks six times a day and there was women who were in the similar role to her and were in these high heel stilettos like she said it was not feasible but she said that whenever she wore her flat shoes that like you know she would be getting looks under the table at the like people in distraught at her shoe choice oh my god I like needing to wear stilettos like why <laughs> I know and so when Meryl Streep was casted for the role of Miranda Priestley she was described by members of the cast and crew as being extremely invested in her role and to really get under the skin of her character so most of all Meryl Streep understood how focused Priestley was on her work and how she was under extreme pressure as a woman in that position of power and one thing she really wanted to portray was the high level of a assertiveness and that strong-willed approach because society at large seemed to believe that those traits are only quality of men and not women so like while she was doing her own personal research as well for her character Meryl Streep began to notice the patterns of powerful people and powerful actors and she began to like build them into her character as Miranda Priestley so for example one of the reasons that Priestley never raised her voice in the movie is because Meryl Streep accredited Clint Eastwood as being really soft-spoken Yet he always retained like the complete tension from everybody in a room. And with that, he was the most powerful person in the room. So you'll always see, if you recall, like bits of the movie where something could go terribly wrong. But Miranda Priestley would just be so cool and calm. But like it would be such an assertive, strong-willed tone that everybody would just have her attention. Like Yeah, like that's like a different type of power when you don't even need to raise your voice to get people's yeah, attention. Exactly. Yeah, it's like you're like an invisible kind of voice, but so powerful at the same time. <laughs> Last fact about Meryl Streep is that she nearly turned down the role because the terms of the contract, more specifically the financial offer, it wasn't good enough for her at the time. So the studio doubled it in the end and she was paid $4 million for the role. Do we know, I know who it could have been? Um, no, I think she was the original cast and they really, like the casting crew really kind of, they really nailed her for the role. Like they knew she would be perfect for it. And as well, another really interesting fact is that when she went for the role, she had the idea to dye her hair that kind of glistening grey white colour. They didn't, that wasn't initially in the pipeline for her but like she yeah so and I think that's like one of her most noteworthy looks because because of that then the costume designer could like incorporate loads of different colors because she had that kind of base 
kind of white color palette to work off yeah the fashion in the movie was amazing yeah and we'll get to that as well but if we move on to the character of Andrea or Andy played by Anne Hathaway one of the most interesting facts is that she was not the initial actor the set wanted she had just I know we always have these twists on this segment (laughs) she had just finished her role in Disney films like The Princess Diaries and Ella Enchanted so the set feared she wouldn't adapt to the adult role and so Rachel McAdams was the initial actor the set wanted to cast, but she repeatedly turned it down because she's, she was eager to step away from the kind of mainstream material because in kind of a couple of years before The Devil Wears Prada was like filmed, she fe- featured in the breakthrough roles in Mean Girls and The Notebook. So she really wanted to step away from like the mainstream movies at the time. Mm-hmm. And so two of the other main actors that star in The Devil Wears Prada are Emily Blunt and Stanley Tucci. So Blunt plays Emily Charlton, Priestley's senior personal assistant, and Tucci plays the artistic director, Nigel Kipling. So over 100 actors had auditioned for the role of senior assistant, Emily Charlton, and Blunt recorded the audition tape in jeans and flip-flops on her way to the airport to catch a flight back from London. And she forgot about auditioning soon after that, because at the same time, she really wanted a role in the fantasy film Aragon. And she was really pining for that, but she didn't get it. So then around that same time, director David Frankel called her with the news of her casting. And she was in a club in London at the time. And he asked her to record another tape, except to kind of dress more for the part this time. And she got the role soon after that. She's probably wearing like club clothes. (laughs) Yeah. So she kind of, when she heard of the casting for um, the figure of Emily Charlton, she just said she'd go for it. She wasn't really prepared. She didn't think she'd hear anything back. And she just forgot about it because that kind of wasn't her dream at the time, her dream movie to get into. But that was actually her breakthrough movie, The Devil Wears Prada. No way. Yeah, that was a film that really kind of broke her into the film limelight. Oh my God, I feel like Emily Blunt's been around for ages. Yeah, but even with that, that was 2006, like for Tushi, who plays Nigel Kipling, the artistic director, he was cast for the film 72 hours before the filming started. And then this is interesting as well, but through Emily Blunt and Tushi's relationship on set, Tushi and Emily Blunt's sister, Felicity, are now married. Oh, Yeah, I know. (laughs) Yeah, but kind of our last fact, and we can't talk about the devil wears prada without touching on this it's the costume design so patricia field was the costume designer for the film and although obviously the film has strong connotations to prada um donna karen and chanel are the are are amongst two of the film's fashion favorites in this film so they're the two household names among other luxury brands that allow the set to have full access to their designs and in total the costume design costs more than one million dollars Oh my god. Was it like rented or did they buy all the costumes? No, it was all kind of rent purposes. Like even uh, you know, you know, when Andy goes under her kind of transformation, it's she's kind of like that pinnacle Chanel girl. And Chanel were apparently really happy that they like got to represent their clothing on her at the time because she was really young and she kind of added a added a modern everyday twist to the designers, like luxury brands. And then for Donna Karen, that was um, the designer that Miranda Priestley was mostly seen in on the film set. Oh, nothing better than a good makeover scene. <laughs> I know. And even like, you know, it's so iconic when Nigel Kipling kind of picks out the outfit for her and she comes back into the office dressed from head to toe in Chanel and then Emily Blunt and the other assistant just are completely gobsmacked at how well she pulls it off. So iconic. <laughs> yeah, it's brilliant. And we'll move on to our segment the story of the week so each week Claire and I pinpoint our chosen stories of the week in the world of culture and lifestyle that we believe are worth sharing so Claire what is your story this week 
Okay, so firstly, I feel like the most viral thing to happen in a long time was the Hadfirst Parish Council meeting. Did you see it? Yes. <laughs> yeah, it was literally like in every corner of the internet and across like all the news channels. Like, I can't remember I was watching, I was watching Sky News and Channel 4 News and they both had it on. And then another Zoom theme story has come out and it revolves around Judge Roy Ferguson, who when he opened up a virtual version of the judicial court in Texas on Zoom, he didn't expect to see two lawyers and a kitten. So basically in this viral moment, attorney Rod Ponton had a filter on of a kitten and couldn't take it off. And he was trying to get his assistant to take it off. And he was like, I can't take it off. And he was like, I'm not a cat. And I just think it, I just think it's funny that like a lot of the viral videos nowadays are coming from Zoom calls and has really become a staple pandemic. Like there are so many times people have left their mics on their videos. Just a good story will always come out of it. I just think it's such a sign of of lockdown. Yeah, and it's gas. Like you see so many kind of Zoom hacks coming out now or like, you know, things to keep in mind when you're watching Zoom or when you're on Zoom. Like there was one thing that I saw, I think it was on Instagram and it was like, you know, your trust issues are low when you don't even trust that your mic and your camera are off on oh Zoom. Oh my and God. That- that is me I could like check 10 times over that my mic is off I'm still like I will whisper like I won't talk for fear that like you can hear me no literally like that is such a real fear that am I being listened to right now making my breakfast or something like that <laughs> yeah and even like um there is other, like I know that there was one thing kind of people were saying when you're on zoom like to change your name to like reconnecting so that like when you don't want to speak there was another one I saw where a girl had like crack had recorded like crackles or something and then she played it back so when the teacher asked her questions it sounded like her mic was broken I feel like I would <laughs> not get away with that and um, my story of the week it's kind of a different one but it's a really feel-good story in that same light so um yeah and it's garnered lots of Irish media attention so I'm sure some listeners even yourself Claire you might have already heard about it but basically it came on the back of a TikTok video where Irish doctor Kira Nolan and her partner Dr Franco Spunay recorded their events of coming across a lost dog in the Wicklow Mountains. By the time the couple had come across the dog the dog had hypothermia she was really weak and she was starving and she had been missing from her home for over two weeks and basically her owners had been out for a walk in the same area with their two dogs when Nisha went missing after chasing a deer and despite the family searches in the mountains and they even sent a drone up over the Wicklow mountains to try and find her they couldn't couldn't locate her and she thought she wouldn't survive so almost two weeks later the couple came across the golden retriever by sheer chance they were out for a hike and they wrapped the dog up in spare jackets they had brought and Dr Franco was Benet, he carried him over his shoulders for 10 kilometers until they got back to the house. And so when they got back to the house, they were able to like feed the dog and warm her up by the fire and kind of give her a wash. And then shortly after that, they were able to get in touch with Nisha's owners through the local animal rescue center. And so she's back home at safe now again. Isn't that so lovely? Yeah, the pictures that came from that were so cute. Yeah, and even I didn't realize, I just thought it was a story that broke, but actually it's a video on TikTok and you can see when the couple found the dog and how like frozen the dog looked and how frail he lo- she looked. And then you can see that the couple are like carrying her across and she's wrapped in like jackets and you can see Dr. Franco Bonet has, has her over his shoulders. It's so lovely. The video, yeah, it's it's really good video. Speaking of TikTok, did you see the viral like feta and tomato pasta that everyone's making? Oh my god, yes. Yeah, I made it for dinner last night. It was so was good. It nice? Yeah, it was so good. Sorry, that was just a little mention there. No, but it's really good. <laughs> Thank you, TikTok, for giving me new recipes. But it's meant to be really easy as well, isn't it? It was so easy to make. It was so good. It, it was literally like half an hour and I forgot about it and then it was cooked and I just mixed it up and it was so good. It was so nice. Definitely worth it. Everyone yeah. make it. 
I always save the videos like for recipes and stuff but like there's so there's so many times then when I'm like will I make it like it and you never have the ingredients but then like with recipes like that they're so handy because most of the time you do like they're always kind of those recipes are like ingredients that you'd already have and you just put them together yeah and there was only three blocks of feta left in Tesco and I wonder is that because of the recipe oh my god definitely so I think that does us for this week's installment of Limelight. You can follow us on Instagram at DCU Limelight to keep up with all the shenanigans. And we'll be back here next Wednesday at 5pm where we'll have some brand new cultured content to alleviate any lockdown blues. So in the meantime, you can listen back to our previous shows on the DCFM Spotify and you can access this through the link in our Instagram bio. So until next week, Claire. All right. See you, Trudy. See you. Bye.